This episode of History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast, is brought to you by River City Segs, the premier Segway tour company in Richmond. The only Segway tour company in Virginia with an indoor Segway-specific training area. Find out more information at rivercitysegs.com. Check out River City Segs on Facebook, Instagram, River City Segs, or on Twitter, at 804SEGS. And River City Segs, we'd love to wish you a very happy New Year's. Hope that next year is fantastic for you. I always practice safe Segs. History Replays today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jeff Major. I hope you're having a, a great new year. Um, this is the very first History Replays today of 2014. And I'm starting out the year, as you can hear, with cold. But the good news is that when I had the conversation with guest today, Bill Martin, the director of the Valentine Richmond History Center, I didn't have the cold, so it didn't sound that crazy. The conversation is about uh, the history of the Valentine. It's the oldest museum in uh, in RVA, uh, making it actually part of Richmond's history, not just the only museum that does all of Richmond's history. You know, it's that's the focus of the museum. It's not just the Civil War or a specific person's life like John Marshall. Um, you know, it's all of Richmond's history, which... Speaking of John Marshall, coming up in a couple episodes, you'll actually be getting... Uh, uh, conversation um, about John Marshall and the John Marshall House. Um, but we get into some um, pretty interesting ideas with Bill, um, you know, and some of the some of the really cool things that the, the museum is doing, um, you know, about the, you know, the study of history and, you know, more importantly, what it means to live in a city like Richmond, where history is all around us, you know, our everyday occurrences are happening in places that are historical. Uh, we also get in um, to the, the the renovation that the Valentines. They got a huge renovation going on. Um, a good number of the galleries are closed right now, um, but Edward Valentine's studio is still open. Um, the John Wickham House is still open. Um, both of those are well worth your time going to check out. The, and you can also check the progress of the renovation um, every Wednesday. From 4.30 to 6, they're actually having what they're calling Hard Hat Happy Hour. Uh, well, they'll take you, you know, some cocktails and uh, take you a tour of what, what, what they've been getting, getting up to. Um, they do ask that you RSVP for that. But they have um, their community, community conversations are continuing, including uh, the Discussing Shaco Bottoms Future, which will be January 7th from 6 to 8 at Arcadia on 17th and Main, right there in Chaco Bottom, uh, which should be a very lively discussion considering all the, the talk of the stadium. Where will it be down there? Will it not be down there? I'm, I, you might see me at that one. That, that sounds pretty interesting. Um, and they'll also be uh, discussing Monroe Park. Uh, that'll be at the Nile at 309 North Laurel Street, uh, February 4th, also from 6 to 8. Um, and I'm going to address a couple things here. Uh, I did start talking to Bill uh, in his office, which is a very nice office overlooking Clay Street, and it was, has these gigantic windows. Um, it's a very large uh, room, which made it very echoey, and it also sounded like we were sitting on Clay Street in an echo chamber. So while I normally don't have uh, you know studio quality sound, it just was crazy. So we ended up sitting in another guy's office uh, who hadn't wasn't there at the time. I think he may have been at lunch. Comes back and he does interrupt us. Um, and his phone rings because um, he very politely goes somewhere else so we can finish the conversation. But his phone actually rings and neither one of us, Bill nor I, answer it because we knew it wasn't for us. It wasn't our office. Um, also, never do get to talk to Bill about the meat juice. Um, Valentine's meat juice. Um, I'm going to do that on a future episode. If you are interested in Valentine's meat juice, you should listen up for the uh, future episode and or go down to the Valentine uh, Richmond History Center. Go check it out. They have a little, they, even with the galleries being renovated, they, ha they still have a little exhibit for about the Valentine's meat juice. Um, it's pretty awesome. Do it. 
Um, this is uh, if this is the first time you've ever listened to History Replays, the, the, the Richmond History um, podcast. You should subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, um, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Uh, you know, all the old episodes are there for you to listen to. Um, the new episodes come out on the first and the fifteenth of every month. Let me know what you think there at historyreplaystoday.org, which is another place where you can listen to all the episodes uh, for free as well. Always free. You can also check it out on Facebook, uh, Tumblr, uh, on Twitter, at History Replays. Uh, let me know what you think about all this stuff. Um, suggest a guest. And you can also just contact me at, uh, at uh, J-E-F-F-M-A-J-E-R at HistoryReplaysToday.org. That's Jeff Major at HistoryReplaysToday.org. But anyways, I'm going to quit struggling through this uh, um a cold voice and say that, uh, you know, I, I started asking Bill just who the that people were that, that opened the Valentine. Who are the Valentines? They're, they're fairly middle class. I mean, I mean they, they had a retail business on Broad Street. So it was, it was uh, Valentine and Breed and Dry Goods, then it became Valentine Dry Goods. So they were part of a retail class of businessmen based on Broad Street along with Tallheimers and all the other, the Miller Rose, all those other businesses that were along Broad Street, they were just part of the, the merchant group that was really pretty prominent and grew to real prominence, uh, but it really was, and, and they did what every middle class family did, they sent their, fa their kids uh, to Europe to take the grand tour, and so you right. had Man Valentine, you know, you had Edward, Virginia's Valentine, and his brother Benjamin going to Europe spending, you know, they were there from, from 1858 to 1865. Um, oh, so they go before the Meat Juice. They go before the Meat Juice. See, I thought that was oh, no, like no, the no. fortunes so of there. No, no, they're, they're, they are already coming back. You know, and I think what they saw in, they come back from Europe with this notion of, you know, every great city that we went to had a museum. Right. And they come back to Richmond, and it's after the war, and they're going, if we want to really be this important place, we need to have a museum. Sure. As a community. And so that's really, I think, the main impetus for the creation of the Valentine War was this experience of going to Europe, seeing that, that, that every place they went to had great museums, and that they wanted to create something for, for the city. And so they started collecting, and they did it just the way everybody else did. You know, they you know, they went they took more European trips and brought things back, but they also, you know, did archaeological digs and so we have in our collection a whole set of, of, of you know archaeological digs from around the state that are that some of the objects are still here. But um, the Valentines are actually digging? They're not digging. Well, they're, 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 they're paying. Okay, they're, right, they're, right. They're, they're paying folks to, to do these digs. I don't mm -hmm. think they ever participated actively in the digs. Right, but okay. I'd have, to, I'd have to check on that one. Sure, sure. Um, but, it, you know, but they were going to bring the, the world back to Richmond. And so if you look uh, at our exhibitions when we open, it is, there is a Virginia room that's sort of Virginiana. And it was really... You know George Washington. It was about founding fathers mm -hmm. uh, and the beginning of, of Commonwealth and those kinds of stories. And then we had archaeology, and that was everywhere. Sure. Um, and so that's really the focus: uh, was how do you provide this amazing place for people to come and learn? And that just by being around these things from around the world, you could be a better person. That you, if you were smarter. You, that, that the community would grow in a different way because there was all this great stuff here. Right. And so it started in the Wickham House, uh, which uh, by this point had the Wickham family, they built it in 1812, but by, you know, by the time we get to the years after the war, they buy the house and for the purpose of putting their museum there. Right. And so from the time that they buy it to today, it is always right after the war. Um, it has been a museum, so it, and it's sort of the house has undergone lots and lots of changes over the years, as museum practice has changed. Sure, um, but they're not doing just building a great museum; they're just building a museum, right? Because there is no 
Like, is there a museum in the city before that, or anything to speak of? Or? There was a museum before the Civil War, briefly, on sort of on the Capitol Square, in the Capitol Square area, but it was out. It had gone out of business, and in fact, part of the core collection of this institution, they purchased some of the contents, and some of the contents was transferred to the Valentine. So. At the core of this museum is this really earlier, earlier museum that existed on Capitol Square. So it's it's everything from the James Armstead Lafayette painting, uh, okay. which was in that first Virginia museum, to, and again it's about the changes in museum practice, because mm -hmm. before the Civil War it was almost like a house of oddities, I mean I think there was, it was right. more like a Ripley's. Uh, so that, that in addition to this great painting, you had, you know, this acorn that you pop the top off and you look inside, there are little knives, forks, and spoons carved out of the contents of the, that. Sure. So, a poor man's Fabergé. Yeah, exactly. So, so we have a, that, that collection. But what happens really after the Civil War is that museum practice changes and becomes much more systematic. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's about... Uh, and the Valentines are in correspondence with the Smithsonian and lots of other museums around the country about how, what is, what's the best practice, how do we do this. Uh, so they were really kind of trying to figure out what being a museum really was. Right. And it wasn't like the American Association of Museums or someplace that they could join and kind of figure it out. Um, and so there were a lot of families around the country. So if you go, there's the Phillips in DC. Right. You know, so there are lots of these families that that get the collecting bug mm -hmm. and begin to amass these giant collections. Now, we take a little interesting zigzag. Um, some of those institutions become art museums. Right. The um, Phillips collection. Right. But what happens here um, is that in the nineteen thirties, nineteen twenties and thirties, uh Prior to that, we were basically the only museum. Certainly there was the Museum of the Confederacy, but it was really the White House right. with rooms for each of the states. So in terms of the sort of systematic collecting, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't in some respects. Sure. Um, the, the Historical Society was there, but it was really about genealogical research. So on the history side, we were basically it for, the, for Virginia and for the, for the city. But we also did arts programming, we did natural history, we did science, we did it all. Mm -hmm. And in the 1930s, uh, the, the, the mission becomes a lot more refined. Um, there's a group that's in the process of establishing the Virginia Museum. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole group of people that are doing contemporary art and are bringing art to Richmond and the Valentine's really about that about decorative arts and furniture in Virginia and American history. And so there's this thing that happens in the 1930s where the Valentine basically works with this, the new board at the Virginia Museum and says, okay, European paintings, art, all of those kinds of things, that really goes to the Virginia Museum. So in 1936, when the Virginia Museum opens, by that point we had, had added to the name of the museum the Museum of the Life and History of Richmond. Oh, okay. So by 1930, um, when, which was a big period for us because we shut for two years, not because there's a Great Depression, mm -hmm. but because we're buying more of the block and expanding the museum into the row houses. Right, and that's when it comes out of the Wickham House? And that's when the, when the, the, the collection comes out of the Wickham House uh, and is installed in big galleries in the row houses. And the Wickham House is redone in the 1930s as period rooms. Right. So it's, you know, you've got a Victorian room and you've got a federal room. And so it's each, each room is installed as a particular period in American decorative arts. Again, it really reflects what's going on in the museum field because what else is happening in the 1930s? You have Colonial Williamsburg uh, opening and they were doing period rooms, everybody, and you had the American Wing opening at um, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, mm -hmm. and it had period rooms, and so it was very popular in American museums in the 20s and 30s and 40s to create these 
period rooms. Right. And those period rooms really kind of stay in place here. Uh, and the galleries shift and change and re-expand and all of those things over the years. But the period rooms stay in place uh, until the 80s. Well, like, what makes, I mean, I guess it's, I mean, I'm thinking, like, that's like, a, you know, it's about 100 years, right, since Wickham was, you know, at that point, is living in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, but what makes people suddenly think that I need to see this old room? Right, I mean, as glorious as they are, I mean, what? Well, but each room, I mean, and, and the, at that point, the rooms are not restored back to the Wickham period. They're restored to periods in American history. So okay. that, there's no, if not, there's very little relationship between the rooms in the 1930s and the actual, what the Wickhams would have seen. So you go and you say this is like a revolutionary type of room, and this is a Civil War type of room, right? And then, okay, right. and then and, and we draw from the collections in all those areas, right? Uh, and so it wasn't until you really get to the seventies and eighties when museum practice changes. Sure. And so the reason, in many ways, the Wickham House is important. Well, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's <laughs> I apologize, ruined that. Guys, keep using this. I'll, I'll work out here. Until I drop the spot. Yeah, dog is about to come in here too. I like yeah. that. That was awesome. Um, so I have to take that out. But um, yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Um, but museum practice again changes in the seventies and eighties, and right. what happens next door in the Wickham House is really fascinating uh, because scholars now go, okay, all this stuff that we've been doing in these houses is is great, and but it's not based on actual research. Right. You know, it's we've not pulled off the paint, we've not looked behind the steps, we've not it's basically it's this fantasy of what we think these rooms look like. And we have the ability now to go back and pull inventories and do the, the actual technical work in a house and actually find out what it actually looked like. Sure. And so the Wickham House um, was when the, the restoration began, you know, almost thirty years ago now was really one of the first academic restorations of a house in the, of a house in the country. And so it takes years because right. the techniques have not been really established as these are the standard ways of doing things. Um, and so what so suddenly you discover layer after layer after layer of paint. Right. Um, and, just, and then a lot of these things contradict what people think about what a house is supposed to look like because one, it's not colonial, right? Yeah, and it's not the White House of the Confederacy, with it, which is this heavy, crazy Victorian thing that goes on. Yeah, it's this period in American decorative arts and American history that's very, very different in a lot of different ways. Sure. So you got 1790, 1820s. So the house is built, you know, 1812. And it reflects that early national period, but it also reflects this radical period, I think, in American interior. So you've got wall paintings you know, that are based, you know, that are really inspired by archaeological digs that are going on in, you know, Pompeii. So suddenly, mm -hmm. this there's this fascination and affection for classical society, classical culture. Sure. So you got you got Je Jefferson building a temple. Right. You had our laws modeled on these sort of classical models. So what would you do if you're building a house? You build a house based on designs of what an Italian villa, you know, a Roman villa would have looked like. Sure, sure. And so that's what the house is. It's right. A, it's so basically and and what is what are what are the folks that are living in the house wear? I mean I think this is kind right. Of, you know, so when we think of colonial we think of, you know, you know, people that are fairly tied up pretty tight. And if with Victorian you've got bustles and hoops and all those things. But in the middle, these folks are thinking that they're living in classical society. So they're wearing these very sort of sheer, high-waisted dresses. And so it's not even, if people look, they're trying to, to, to replicate what they see in, in the archeological digs that are being done. So there's this whole lifestyle based on um, this classical model. now. There's a part of the classical model that, that is also repeated in Virginia and that, that entire society is based on slavery. Right, sure. So, you know, while it's, it, there, we have this highly romantic view, it's also a society that's based on uh, human labor. Right. Uh, that that um, has been brought, 
from Africa to this country. So it's it's in many ways you know, in personal leisure. Yeah. And so you've and got this. So you've got this this dichotomy. These, these sort of different lives that people are living within the same house. Sure. Um, so the you know, but the but this this restoration in the in the eighties really is sort of this turning point in terms of what we do as an institution. Mm -hmm. um, and over the years, we've now you know, as as you see next door in quick tour, you know, we're we're starting all over again in many ways. Not in the house. The house is actually um, been we've actually done some really interesting things in the house to to liven the house up a bit, yeah. really bring it back to make it look like people are living there. Uh -huh. We had a consultant come in last year and not only look at the inventories, but say, you know, there are things, yeah, you've got what's on the inventory, but there are other things that wouldn't have appeared on the standard inventory that would have been a part of these rooms. Right. And so going back in and, and adding things that make the house look like the Wickhams might have actually walked out of the room today. Sure. Uh, so all that stuff has been added to make the house uh, a little more interesting. But as you, you know, but it's more than a house, and that's the, the thing that we are really trying to do is is redefine what the rest of the stuff that we do looks like. Sure. And how long did the Wickhams live there? Uh, they, you know, bought the built the house uh, in 1812 and were out of the house um, in, in 1854. The house sold in 1854, and so they, the family dispersed. They, they had. You know, this is not their only house. Right. And so they had pro major properties in Henrico and Hanover County, and so the family, in many ways, disperses out to the counties. Right. Um, and continues, I mean, for instance, they're, they're Wickham's living in these properties until the last 20 years, in both of them. So, oh, wow. Um, so the Wickham's continue these, these, these large properties out in the counties and continue to live in them until, until very, very recently. Sure. And I think that's like 1812 is like, you know, there's, you know, I mean, historians study it, but most people, you know, if there's not a major war going on, then it's not in movies and books. And the War of 1812, which is lost, there's a lost war. Um, so in that whole time period, like you're saying, it's like the, the clothing and everything, nobody, you know, well, and it, and, think that that and, exists. And, it, and, and yet, if you look at Richmond during right. a period, we're at the center of all of it. I mean, we're, we are. Probably, we're one of the largest states, if not the largest state. Um, I think land-wise. Land-wise, but I think, but also population, I think we are, you know. It's pretty close a, in there. It's pretty close. I, I'd have to look back and see. But, you know, you're looking at, Virginia was at its, the, its zenith in terms of political influence. You had all the presidents being elected from Virginia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that in terms of political influence uh, and cultural influence, Virginia was at the center. And yet, you know, we... We talk about, you know, we, the revolution didn't, I mean, it's not a big deal in Richmond. You know, the, you know we love to, I mean, certainly it's the connection to, to St. John's Church and Patrick Henry. Sure. But I think we forget that Richmond at that point was not really much of a place. Right. It's a little itty bitty little village. It's a little bitty village. And the reason that they're coming here is so that no one will find them. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not... It's not as if this is this giant place. I mean, sure. It just happens that St. John's Church is the largest building in the interior of the state that they can have a meeting. Right. Um, and, and, and can kind of escape up so that they can have a meeting. So it's not really until the capital moves right. uh, that Richmond is even a place. Mm -hmm. um, and, I th and I think Richmonders, because of the, because of the high visibility of St. John's Church, and that if you ask someone when was Richmond's most prominent in sort of the national politics, the first time it was was really that early national period when you had Virginia providing leadership for the new country, sort of on the re on the on the ground defining how are we going to deal with the issues related to slavery, what are the issues related to slave uh, to states' rights, you know what's the role of the Supreme Court? You've got sure, you know, John, John Marshall, Marshall. Yeah. you know. Deciding about judicial review. Those right. are kind of those are kind of things that are really important that are still being played out in many ways today. That Virginia was at, and Richmond was at the center of that conversation. So I always think that we, you know, I, while the Civil War is an important period for Richmonders, I think we have this opportunity, and that's what in our new space we don't do a lot of Civil War here. You know, one of the things that we right. intentionally do in our programming is that there's a lot of Civil War 
being done in really great ways with you know the Virginia Historical Society, American Civil War Center, and Museum of Confederacy. And so I think we kind of and the National Park Service. Um, so for us, you know, there there are lots of other areas that we think are really interesting and maybe um, where we can provide some conversation around that could provide some interesting stuff for the future. So the early national period is one of those things is that, that we can actually talk to people about what it, how did slavery as an institution evolve during that period? What happens sure. when the international slave trade ends? Yeah. Um, and suddenly, you know, for Richmond it's not about the international slave trade. It becomes, it, Richmond becomes the focal point of the internal slave trade. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 that's really, a, and that's then I think that I think that's kind of lost in the story, and so we have an opportunity to show the sh the shifting nature of slavery and and the life of the enslaved in Richmond and what that what, how that begins to change in the early part of the nineteenth century, and it's that beginning of uh, or the ending of Africans and the beginning of African Americans when people are actually born here. Yeah, and from other, well, and by the time, but and really by the time you get to that point, the majority of the folks are being are, are the majority of African Americans in Richmond are, have already been here for more, more probably more generations than um, most of the, the white population. Okay, and that's, kind of, that, yeah, that's, that's kind of that's really wild because you've got multiple generations standing. That are that are here, and what you have are newer immigrants coming in in the years before the Civil War. So you've got German immigrants, you have German Jewish immigrants coming, you've got French Huguenot, you've got all these other people immigrating into Richmond, joining people that joining the enslaved who have been here for multiple generations. Right. That's why. Um, and we we forget we forget that I think sometimes that that that. That the the years before the Civil War um, were periods of really pretty large migrations from from Europe into this country, mm -hmm. um, and we and, and I think that that that's a, the immigrant story. Yeah, absolutely. Is one that uh, is an opportunity for us both during this early national period. But in the years after the Civil War, I think you know we don't really think about the 1890s as much as I think we ought to. Right. Sure. And the 1890s were just kind of crazy, crazy time in Richmond with the the, the trolleys being expanded, mm -hmm. um, which sort of deconstructs the city. Yeah. You know, it spreads out. Everybody. It spreads well, and, and it spreads out by by race, class, and occupation. Sure. So you know, there's that. I love folks that have this wonderful romance. Oh, if we could only bring the trolley back, but there were some unintended, just as there are unintended consequences for the construction of the interstate system. Sure, right. Which helps us kind of blow out the city one more time. Um, the trolley did the same thing. Yeah. And so people, what was like, what what happened with the trolley? There was this entire, incredibly dense urban core, and the moment that opportunity came to go to the country. Mm -hmm. um, people began to separate by trolley line, and you could tell, you know, you could tell people, you could tell where people were born from their their country of, of origin by what neighborhood they ended up. So you had, you know, large Italian Catholic community ending up in, in you know, Highland Park and Barton Heights, and sure, you know, and you could tell where they were working, and, and so you know, the first monument goes up. You know, on Miami mm -hmm. Avenue, right? Doesn't happen until you know thirty years after the war, right? Right. Um, and we start constructing this alternative universe mm -hmm. of what Richmond, what the Civil War was about, um, what Richmond was about. That and you know, and we begin to eliminate any kind of hints of what that past was like, and so. Pretty early on, you have this. You know, we've got this great photograph in this collection of this giant landfill that uh, is in Shaco Bottom. Oh wow! And it's essentially located on 15th, the 15th Street corridor. Yeah. Um, so that very early on, there are these attempts to to begin to eliminate any sort of physical reminders of the slave trade. Right. Right. Um, we did a total job of it with the construction of the I-95, you know, Richmond Petersburg Turnpike. Sure. But you know, going back in now and trying to rediscover these pieces that that 
you know, were, were had been hidden for so long that are under that are under pavement and under you know highways. Right. If you don't see it, it never happened. If you, if it, if you don't see it, it, never happened. And so there are parts of Richmond have that that where we, or if you see it, it has to be true. And so you know, if you, the, the monuments really become this this different way of of, yeah. of constructing what we wanted to believe, um, and about the war. Sure. And the causes of the war. Right. So, uh, the eighteen nineties are a place that we're really interested mm -hmm. in looking well, at because it's a really kind of a trolley's memorialization because we are you know the Valentine opens in the eighteen nineties. Yeah. Museum of Confederacy. Mm -hmm. um, you can just kind of go down the list of all the you know the, there's a there's a great deal of, of new wealth. And part of this is, was a response, and it goes back to this, uh, the response to all the immigration. So sure. suddenly you had lots of new people moving into the city, and part of it is, okay, we need, you know, we need to make sure that these folks that move into the city are getting, you know, are really learning about how we work and what this cult, what our culture is, and these institutions were being created to really help people move into the culture and understand, you know, what what it, what was being an American. Right, like assimilate, make what, sure they're what, what was that? What was that? What did that look like? Right. And so there were cultural institutions that were created to really help with that process. And I think we have, you know, one more, I mean, I think the civil rights movement is this, this next opportunity. Sure. Um, so Richmond in the 50s, 60s, the 1950s and 60s is really another opportunity. So while the Civil War is important for us as in, for the Valentine, um, our focus really is on these, or is rediscovering some of these other uh, important... Um, so, I don't think it's for either one of us, so... so. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I think that's, because that's actually why I started, the, the, one of the things I started in the podcast, because it's like, I get it, like Jefferson Davis lived here, and like some, some things happened out of that four years, it's like a pretty impressive four years, but like there's so much incredible stuff right. that is just like completely brushed over, and also within the, um, like you're saying, the mentality of a human, the human condition at that point. Um, even during the Civil War, doesn't really ever get addressed in the city, right? There's like right. Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis, and it's like, well, what about the, a guy who just walks down the street? Right. I mean, and, I mean, I think it was it's Drew Gilpin Fowles who, in, in her book on, on memory and and in the morning, you know, what 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 impact does it have on a city when, you know, I think she makes the that there's that there there are actually more hospital beds than there are beds for the people who. Who are actually the residents? Wow. What yeah. kind of what kind That's... of what kind of psychological impact? Right. Sure. And so if you're living in Richmond in the years after the war, you've got to come up with some way of dealing with that horror. Right. And and that's your your dad or your brother that your was saying it's wrong. Well, and, 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 and and you're and, living in a but but they I mean even if you weren't even without the Confederate stuff involved. Mm -hmm. Just the the impact of being around prisons sure. and hospitals and not having food. I mean that so there's a there's a different Richmond story right. during the Civil War that goes beyond what we normally tell. Sure. Too. I mean and but I but I think that that's one of the, the great things that's happening at American Civil War and some other places. Is sure. That broader broader story is being told and so we say we we kind of we kind of stay away from those things and try to find the the other great stuff. Sure. Um, well, they can that, they can walk a block down the street. They can walk a block. Um the, the thing is you can walk a block anywhere as as you guys know. You know, you can walk a block anywhere in town and find really these amazing connections between things, and I think it's so important. And as you know, we do this walking tour program, mm -hmm. and it's just—it's just so important. You know, why would we want to do an exhibition here on Churchill? You can when, go. when Churchill's sitting here, yeah, you go get it. Good. And 
and I think because of, and Richmonders are really because we've got this geographic this challenges of geography we you know we somehow think that that St. John's Church is like a separate world from Jackson Ward and Maggie Walker sure and what's shocking to someone from out of town is that it's entirely walkable yeah I mean you can you know you can get from St. John's Church and you can walk through like Lumpkin's Jail and do the slave trail and you can see what's going on in you know with Poe you can walk along the right. river you can go to American Civil War Center and walk up to Maggie Walker and the Jackson Ward and it's really it's not that far yeah you know it's it's less than a couple it's a, just a couple of miles and and and, and it's and also enormous it's not that far geographically but you've spanned an enormous amount of American history right you can do it all you can that, actually you know you can do everything from uh, Native American history uh, with some of the stuff along the river to to, to Revolutionary War history with St. John's Church um, but that early national stuff us, of course, right. uh, and but you've also got the, the capital and a variety of houses and, and buildings along the way. But then you just you can just kind of keep layering, 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 layering right. on, so that it's a I think it's a much more honest and interesting story because it's all of it. Sure. Um, and while it's hard to tell because it's because within a block you can have these moments of horror. Right. And in the same block have, you know, these moments of great dignity. Sure. Um, and I don't think we always are, are um, it's, it, it, there's this tension that's, I think, hard sometimes for you to say, well, and here's where slave auctions occurred. Right. And oh, by the way, right on the same block there was this great hotel. Or, you know, right. I mean, there's this, there's this sort of how do you, sure, um, and how can you do, how can you honor both the stories, sure, um, but they're so interrelated. I mean, yeah, I think yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's absolutely that's where a lot of the stuff I think is it's, you can't really tell the story. I mean, you can't get an idea. I mean, if you say this is a slave auction house, you know, automatically in the mind you begin to imagine, you know, whatever like rows of slave auction houses, but. The story completely changes when you think about, you know, like you said, like some of the richest people in the city and the, and the nicest hotels, and, and you know that juxtaposition that's right there, and that none of this, and, and that, and, and right. that in fact, that entire story is almost hidden because it's all been demolished over time, and so that you have layer, you know, so there's what's under some of the buildings and what's under some of the stories. I mean, that that's really kind of where we have an opportunity if you get people out in the city sure. to just kind of go, okay, here's this really interesting corner. It's a parking lot today. But at one point it was a church or yeah. a synagogue. And then, oh, it was also, you know, the beginning of a retail business. Oh, and it was also this and it was also this. Right. This sort of continuing evolution uh, is, a, is a much more interesting story than, obsessive, than, than just focusing just on one Absolutely. One, one, every 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 corner in town ever has this has, has multiple stories. Right. Absolutely. And to, to focus just on one really doesn't honor the history of that corner. Right. Absolutely. That and I think that that's you know we've got the opportunity here because we've just got so much stuff. Sure. Um, I mean, and it dehumanizes, I think, a lot of the folks that are um, involved in these things to have that one single, you know, generally it's like a single incident that happened in a place by this person. And then, you know, by adding a lot of the layers, you get into, you know, you can almost imagine, you know, the days when they didn't do something. Okay, so where you're on, a, on a corner, you can have the recruitment for the war of 1812, but you can also have an auction house. You can have, you know, right. a, yeah. a, a, the, a main street station. Sure. I mean, it's all in the same, it's in the same pot. Right. And, and so, that's that's the that's the part of the story that I think Richmond can do in ways that are honest and real. That um, that institutions like ours have the opportunity, and and because we've got all this great, I mean, the ability to do it, I think people love to see. I'm a visual learner, mm -hmm. and the whole notion of being able to to see, you know, George Washington's cane. Right. Or an Apple IIc computer, 
Yes. No one remembers. Um, um, or you know whatever it might be, to to actually connect with the real object, which connects to a real person. Yeah. Is this growing up? And, and and we have you know we've got a lot. Right. Know? Like you just showed me the first TV, and just the idea that that's like. I well, mean, the, the excitement of the something like that object, you're like, oh my god, like a TV is ridiculous. The like technology a change is, is, changes in technology are really fascinating. Yeah. Just like the changes in transportation over time are really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and the impact, the, the subtle and not so subtle impacts on our daily lives. Sure. Yeah, we're, we're and, and also incredibly important within, you know, because I think that's, it's it's hard to imagine that you can't call somebody in you know in the 19th century like you can't just call like cell phone and just you know and when you think this thing happened and like they had to run down the street to, to you know to talk to somebody and couldn't just call somebody I mean that technology or that is, you would send a, a letter right I mean that's like and that you'd have a letter delivered and there was this whole and it would be delivered within the same day yeah because it came like uh, twice like yeah twice a day it's like. So that, that you would actually be able to to communicate the, the, the lag time of communication. I mean, the lag time of, the, of how long would it take you to get from Richmond to Washington? Sure. Um, or in, in today, why would we go? It's just sort of where you can actually just pull someone up on Skype and talk to them. Why would you need to, to go? Right, right. The, and, and, you know, and I think it's also, like, within that transportation, because I was thinking about this the other day, that like you were saying walking the whole way, like, it's weird now that if you drive, like, through Shaco Bottom, like, at rush hour with the traffic, I mean, it takes a really long time. You know, we're, we're having traffic for the first time. Yeah, and so there's... Well, in downtown, which is... So it's weird, though, to think, like, the, you know, when there's, care, you know, a horse, and you can drop, hop on a horse, and you're there faster than... Than we would be in a car, right? Because I'm assuming there's not horse traffic, right? But you're probably going about the well, same well, speed. Well, there, there would have been a tremendous amount of horse traffic. I mean, we have photographs in this collection of, of the streets packed with horses. So, really? Oh yeah, with carriages. Wow. Um, just different transportation. You know what? You know, it reaffirms the need for bikes. But that's a whole other. That's like <laughs> <laughs> um, get on your bike. You can get there faster. Yeah, so no, like, can, I mean, ultimately, that's the case now in downtown is that you can, I could get from my house in Churchill to, to work here faster on a bike because the, again, the sort of next cycle of, of growth um, is bringing a whole new group of people into downtown and sure. is changing the nature of the city again. Mm -hmm. the, immigra the immigration is different this time because it's not really immigration from other countries as much inside the city, but people from the suburbs mm -hmm. and people associated with the new companies that are coming to town, understanding that living downtown is really a good thing to do. Sure. Um, and has all the amenities, the restaurants and all those things, so that, that suddenly that, that new immigration is changing, just as former waves of immigration have changed the city. Um, the, the, the most recent immigration into Shaco Bottom and Shaco Slip and sort of back into the city is changing the city again. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, and I've elect that. And, and, you know, I mean, you guys are actually changing the exhibits. I mean, I'm assuming that's fitting into that whole... Yeah, well, we're actually trying to think about what, what, what a museum actually is. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, because in a world where everything is available online... Right. You know, you don't... In the old days, the way you would get museum content is that you know you would have to make an appointment and come go to our archives and do your research. Mm -hmm. Now that that whole function is, if it's not online, it doesn't exist. Right. So the notion that someone's going to come here and do research is there's some people that understand that there's still lots of error records that are not online. That there's a lot out there that's not online. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the good stories. Right. Um, but for most people that the, the kind of information that they want is available all online. So why you wouldn't have, and, and most people think that, that you come for an exhibition and you, you know, read labels and that would be that part of what you would do. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the traditional format for museum would be a lecture with the slides, you know, that, and those are the traditional ways that museums have delivered their content. Yeah. And none of them actually 
hold up in a new technology environment. Sure. So if there's a hundred more than 140 characters on the plaque. Next there's to more, it, there's like, more than 140 characters, and it and so how do you create? You know, and so our, our actually our, our mission actually has changed. It used to be collect, preserve, interpret. Uh, now uh, it's really create experiences around Richmond history that inform the future. Right. So those experiences are not necessarily you know the traditional museum thing. So for us, you know, we're not there are not many museums around the country that do the kind of extensive walking tour program that we did. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, we can't find one. You know, there, oh, wow. with Chicago, uh, Chicago Historical Society does some, the Museum of the City of New York is doing some. But in terms of this sort of comprehensive program of getting people out into the city to actually find places that they've never been, that's something that, that we think is going to be something that, that's an important part of how do you communicate history content? It's about getting people out and actually doing what the segways do. Sure, you know, and, and, and that's so it's not even just getting people where they have never been, but the you know because you know and, and doing the segway tours, you know, there's people that are like, oh, I work downtown, man. Like, you know, I've seen all this stuff, and it's really just figuring out the significance. Right. So it's a it's place a, you a, walk a, past every day, and now you're walking past, you know, like you're saying, like saying this was an auction block, or this is this right. happened. It, it, it's, it's slipping this whole layer of information that people don't know right. about the the, the the connections to those places, to these other stories sure. that they just don't get. So we, we think that that's part of what we're going to do. Um, the other part is that, that we think that there are a lot of big issues that this community is going to be facing over the next decade, mm -hmm. and that history might be helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, in making some of those, in, in helping make sure we don't make some of the same mistakes we've made in the past. Sure. So discussions that are going on now, for instance, that we'll be doing exhibitions and programming around. So if we had our new galleries today, classic would be we would be doing something on the history of, of where baseball has been played in Richmond. Right. Just to, to show that Which, baseball has been played a lot of places. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the last podcast episode right. about baseball in Richmond. Right. But but not and not that extensive, but really just about the diamond and, and Tate Field. But um, there were lots of, I mean we have got lots of photographs and, and documentation of, of of baseball being played all over the city. But it's yeah. also we could also if in fact you know the history of of Scott's edition, since mm -hmm. that's where you know one of the locations is, but also to look at the would there be impact, what the impact would be on Slavery, the 15th Street corridor, right. and the slave trade in Shaka Bottom. Sure, we'd be able to provide content so that, that people that are making these decisions, the public could make a decision in an informed way. Now, right. now it's a, now it tends to be about there's 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 not this place where conversation actually occurs. And that, that's the problem. And so that's that's so there are a whole new set of galleries next door that are being set up just to have those kind of informal conversations. Mm -hmm. right? So that will be one thing that so it's, it's not a traditional lecture, it's not a traditional, it is let's get some content, the folks that are making these decisions together to provide an opportunity for people to understand what, what the point, different points of view are, what's the historical perspective on a particular issue. So you know, it could be something like food deserts and how people have had access to fresh vegetables. You know, sure. Um, could be that simple. Or you know, we, I know that we're gonna do something on bikes and the mm -hmm. history of bicycles in time for 2015. That'd be awesome. Um, and talk about the creation of bikeways and all the things that are going on already that the city's got in the works and are planning. Um, so that's, that's one piece of what we're doing. The other piece, and, and, and we're taking a little bit of a contrarian view, I think, is that lots of people, there are lots of technology expectations. For, we assume that people that come to a museum want technology, so they want to, you know, they want a touchscreen, they want mm -hmm. an interactive something. We're saying that maybe what people really want to do when they come here is actually think. Right. And disconnect. And it's not about technology. It's yeah, about, turn off for a minute. It's about being in a place with really cool stuff that are telling interesting stories about interesting people. Maybe 
challenging you just a little bit to think a little differently. Um, but maybe there's a place that you just need to come where it's, it's where you think, where you disconnect, and and that's part of. I mean, so our, the new exhibitions next door mm -hmm. are going to be object heavy, right, and technology light. Yeah. Um, you know, at one point we got, we actually said let's let's um, let's take people's phones when they right, <laughs> uh, so that that people are actually forced one to to think maybe talk to someone else, mm -hmm. um, but also to enjoy just being in a cool place, because this block is a really cool block. You sure. think about downtown, there are not many blocks no. like this. Absolutely. And so just being in our garden, yeah. uh, just being in the house that's unlike anything else most people have ever seen, uh, seeing really amazing stuff among our, you know, one point five, six million objects that sure. are here. But maybe that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing that will be included um, is everybody knows and loves their costume and textile collection. Mm -hmm. And so there'll be galleries, new galleries dedicated to just focusing on our costume and textile collection. So okay. that, that um, cause I think that, that people really connect to their clothes mm -hmm. uh, in really well, in, in absolutely intimate ways, um, but I think we don't often uh, those the, the stories that we can find in people's clothes are really fascinating. Right. You know, Honestly, I'm fighting the urge to uh, make a technology and then going straight into textiles pun hmm. about texting. So no, no, I'm no, trying to. No, no, <laughs> I'm fighting. No, I'm fighting. No, step, step back. Yeah. Step back. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think because because and that's. Because I don't think, you know, the thing is, we can't, I don't, as an institution, we, you know, we have a very tight budget. Sure. And people can, you know, there's a new phone every year that's going to have right. better technology than we can ever have in our galleries. Right. And it'll never be an Apple store. It'll like never that. be an Apple store. So it's and like, so, why, tr why try to... So why be an Apple store? Yeah. Um, and we don't know if it's going to work. I mean, I think it's a it's a it's a bit of a gamble for us um, because there, we're most there, there are a lot of institutions that are sort of focused on okay, my gosh, how we're going to how we're going to provide technology, and we're saying maybe it's not. Maybe that's not our place. Sure. Um, that plus we're smaller. You know, mm -hmm. we're not we don't have you know it's, we're not a large institution, and we we think that we can do what we need to do for the city in the space that we have, particularly if you begin to think about the entire city as this opportunity. Absolutely. So it's, get that walking tour, um, you know, using our photography collections, begin to create some online presence so that if you're, you know, you're walking down the street, um, we can geotag addresses, mm -hmm. and as you're walking down the street, suddenly the building that was on that corner pops up on your phone. Right. That's, that's yeah, that's amazing. That's that's the kind of that's an appropriate use of technology, right? For us versus trying to create something inside the gap or inside the building. Sure. So um, all this is happening soon. So we know what the schedule is. Right. And which you know, I found I found that like because I'm particularly thinking about the um, the Federal Reserve has a little museum in there, and mm -hmm. there's they have an enormous. I think it's at one time it was like the largest touchscreen in universe or something right. like that I don't know um, but it's supposed to tell you all about the Federal Reserve and I ended up walking out really just thinking about the touchscreen and how big it was you know and so like the information that they were trying to get across to me was pretty much lost because I was kind of distracted by the, the technology right and if you ask a lot of people what they remember about the Fed is it's like I saw a bunch of money right yeah and that was cool though <laughs> I, I saw a bunch of money yeah um, so it's you know you see the real the, the things you tend to remember are are the stuff and so why not right. focus on the stuff mm -hmm. um, so we're gonna we're, we're starting it off um, the the plan at this point is that uh, construction will begin the first part of November mm -hmm. on the galleries and so the galleries will remain um, closed in the gift shop and all those things um, for about a year we hope okay. to Reopen about this time next year in October. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, so 
we'll start our school programs, which are really important, uh, back on site in September. All the school programs this year are off site. Mm -hmm. Teachers are going into the classrooms and doing it. Oh, cool. Or like actually bringing objects and what with them? Or? Right, bringing hands-on opportunities. Not necessarily objects from the collection. Okay. But it's object-based learning, but not objects from the collection. Right. Um, but um, so all of those, so some of our programs will continue throughout the entire year. Um, but basically taking the galleries and gift shop and education spaces and special event spaces and really stripping them apart and starting all over again. Sure. So new climate control, so new state-of-the-art humidity and temperature, uh, new energy-efficient lighting, but also just sort of making, what we're doing is really creating these, these, these boxes for the next generation of folks who live in Richmond, who work in this institution, to create whatever they want in. Sure, yeah. Um, and creating a space that we don't have necessarily predetermined notions of what's going to happen in them, but just know that we need to have flexible spaces for the future to happen. Right, no doubt. And so that's, so that's, so, but during this time, it's important for people to know we're still open. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Uh, because, um, you know, when the construction fence goes up, people go, oh my gosh, they're closed. Right. And, and it's going to, there's going to be a lot of it. Uh -huh. I mean, all of Clay Street, um, the entire block of Clay Street will be closed off. Oh, okay. No, so not it. the street, but the, the sidewalk. Yeah, so that's we'll a reroute myself. Well, you can, run, there. you can go to the other side of the street. It's oh, just, okay, so that, yeah, that's the other, right the other sidewalk will be open, so it'll be okay. Okay. And people can still walk by here, it's totally okay. Um, but what, we'll, what we, we think we're, we've got is really sort of a unique experience for people who want to come, which will be this walk through the site uh, to the Valentine Studio, sort of Acknowledging how this place got started mm -hmm. by going into the studio in the garden, which a lot of people kind of miss when they're here, and then a guided tour into the house, uh, which has has received some really interesting changes to make the house look more like the Wickhams were there, and then the second floor of the Wickham house, which has been essentially uninterpreted for a long time. Um, we really have reinstalled uh, an exhibition that looks at the evolution of the museum itself. And so what you'll see upstairs in the Wickham House today is here's what the past, what this museum looked like when we started. Sure. Come back in a year and see what the museum of the future is going to look like next door. Right. So it sets up this sort of conversation between here's what a museum was when we opened and here's the museum of the future, what we think the museum of the future might look like. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this conversation that's going to go on between our past and what happens in these new, in this, these new galleries. And so about a year, uh, the galleries would be closed. But for, for for lots of folks, it's still about research, and so mm -hmm. our, our archives and research collections will remain open. Mm -hmm. For many people, it's really about Sally Bell, right? And having lunch in our garden. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, the, the important the important news is is that Sally Bell will remain open. Yeah, okay, you got it. <laughs> who who really cares about the museum? Right. <laughs> it's really about. That, that amazing box of uh, potato salad and chicken salad. Right. Don't forget about the deviled egg. And don't forget that, and, you know, there's a cupcake. Um, and, you know, and for folks that worry about parking, the parking, our parking facility, which we're lucky in that we're the only place kind of that has, its, has a dedicated parking. Lot. Sure. So all of those things kind of stay in place. We're, we're, we're still trying to, I mean, I think that brides, you know, one of the things that we do is a lot of wedding. Mm -hmm. Well, really, quite frankly, we're going to be okay for weddings. Right. Um, just don't use the front of the building, but most brides only really yeah, want the backyard, that, right? the, the great courtyard in the back and mm -hmm. the house in the background. And so um, there's, there's, there's still wedding opportunities sure. um, in addition to all the other stuff. So it's a, going to be an interesting and pretty complex year as we work our way through it. But on the other side, it's going to be this really what we think is a unique experience for Richmond, and 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 our focus has always been on Richmonders, right? Um, and Richmond history mm -hmm. and serving this community. So even from the very beginning, 
you know, when, when you think about museums, you don't usually think of that connection to, to public schools. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this place is odd. I mean, uh, yeah. we, we... My wife actually, I didn't even know you guys did the school stuff, and they had somebody come from the Valentine. To, oh, yeah, we did. Um, and so it was awesome. So it was, like, really cool. And that, I was like, oh, I had no idea. And it's back, and, it's, and, and for most people, it's the thing that they know that we do. Because um, we've been doing it since 1902. Oh, wow. That's um, pretty good. That's like really that's good. pretty consistent right there. I mean, that's... Uh, you know, we, we didn't just discover that there, you know, we could do school programs. Sure. We, we've been defining how museums do school programs since 1902. And the, the Valentine Board in 1902, and it's like, what, what, what's going on in their brains? Uh, votes uh, to provide free access to Richmond Public Schools um, beginning in 1902. We've been free, we've provided free education programming for Richmond Public Schools, uh, black and white, right. since 1902. And so the thing that makes this institution a little bit different is that there are periods, particularly in the 1920s and 30s and into the 40s, where the majority of the attendants of this institution were African-American. Huh. Um, and so when there were no cultural opportunities for blacks in Richmond, um, that in traditional institutions, um, the Valentine was open to everyone, wow. and that's you know, that's a distinctive that we don't really talk enough about. But I think is an important part of the her heritage of this institution. Yeah, did it open that way? It didn't open that way, but I mean, you know, it, it, it still... wasn't. It hadn't been open long. Yeah. So you know, we did we get the charter in in eighteen ninety two. We opened eighteen ninety. Um, and eight, and you know, within a couple of years, we're saying we're right. about public education. Sure, um, that's what we're really about. And if you go back and look at the original charter, while there's it's about collecting, it's really it's focused on education as the focus versus sure. collection. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but it was about if you just bring the right stuff together and you bring people together, you're gonna. You know, you're going to have some magic happen, mm -hmm. um, and it was, it goes even beyond that. I mean, I, the building behind us is uh, was originally was that that's actually where the West Hampton School, West Hampton College, was located. Right. But later they built the Virginia Mechanics Institute there, yeah. which was basically Richmond's vocational training right. school. How odd is that to have a museum and a Votech center within across a parking lot? It's pretty amazing. And yet, if you go back and look at the correspondence, one of the Valentine family members was actually on the board of the Virginia Mechanics, Mechanics Institute, and and they saw this connection between having this aesthetic cultural experience and having technical training. That the two actually work together. Right. That, that you would do you'd be a better engineer if you were exposed to art. Sure. That that if you that, that if you had a broader cultural experience, that you'd be better at every job. Yeah. And you have to make the, the knowledge applicable. Right. And and that that allowing that kind of creativity to happen is where a lot of things, a lot of good stuff happens in a community. And so that's hopefully what we're going to create within this new building is this, yeah. this sense of this place you come, you might get a cup of coffee and, you know, but the expectation is, is that we want you to come here and disconnect, you know, sure. well, you know, and spend some time thinking in your head, going into your head, seeing great stuff, um, maybe talking to somebody. Right. Um, that's crazy. Which, it's a, crazy, it's a, it's a crazy. Looking in the eye and everything. It's a crazy that's, uh, idea, <laughs> and we, we know it's a little crazy. Yeah. Um, but we think that that's for for a place like this. That that's that's where we're hoping to build. And I'm, I'm assuming you got a year off, but I mean, is there going to be? I mean, there's going to be some sort of festivities when this. Oh, oh yeah. This well, that, I mean, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do a whole series. Um, is there something planned already? As far or is that something? Well, yeah. I mean, there's there a couple things. Surprise. There, 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 there are a couple things planned already. We're working with a great group from Altria who are working with us on some planning for the, some thinking about 
how we do an opening differently. So if it's a different place, we'll need to be a different opening. Mm -hmm. uh, what we do know is that sometime in October, the new This Is Richmond exhibition will open, which is the new core history. Mm -hmm. um, followed in January uh, with the first exhibition in the community galleries, which is the first community conversation thing will happen mm -hmm. sometime in January. And then before, we're talking January 15. Uh, we would be. Yeah, okay. And then um, May 15 uh, would be the opening of the costume and textiles galleries. Mm -hmm. And that will be tied to uh, Richmond Fashion Week. Oh, nice, yeah. So, um, so those are for the for the fourteen fifteen year, um, it the opening in October. School programs begin again on site in September. October is the first opening. Then we do history makers. Then it's quarter and Christmas. Then we do an opening of the community galleries, and then then we do the costume and textile. We you know we still have a very small staff, and so it's we can't open everything right. All at once, mm -hmm. it just can't happen, right? Well, it's you know, it seems like you want to you know tease it out anyway. Well, right? wait, it's like, yeah. excitement of yeah, and I think each piece of them have has a very different you know has a different appeal to a different audience. Yeah, there are folks that are going to love that Richmond history thing that we do, and which is at the core of what we do. There, there are other people that are going to be really engaged in the conversations that we want to have in the galleries. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bunch of folks that just have, you know, been around for a long time waiting for us to really take advantage of the costume and textile collection. Right. And in many ways, there's there are three, almost three different groups of people. Um, just all, that's awesome. Which is great. Yeah. Um, but all I'm really interested in being engaged in downtown. And I think, you know, we made, this board made the decision oh, over almost 20 years ago now that no matter what happened, we were committed to downtown. Great. You know, we yeah. weren't going. We yeah. weren't going anywhere that, you know, we, we were here, we'd been here for a long time. The neighborhood had changed. The neighborhood has, has changed. Mm -hmm. It'll change again. Yeah. And it'll change again. Right. And that there's some things that need to be the reference points for the future. And Absolutely. We're, and we're just sort of the buildings, our collections, our ideas are sort of a central reference point for the future absolutely yes absolutely thank you very much bill that was awesome i appreciate your time that's bill martin he's the director of the valentine richmond history center go check them out um go by their uh the community discussions find out more information about the, the community discussions the hard hat happy hours at the richmondhistorycenter.com Tell your mom, tell your tell your doctor that they should subscribe to History Replays today. Happy New Year and make it a great day.